Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 371st episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that knows your mom better than you do. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving into all the developments this week. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners that this show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what is on our agenda this week? We have five delightful segments on tap. We're going to lead off with a review of the metagame. We've got some modern and pioneer events to talk about. Segment two is our top movers in paper, followed by segments three's online movers. In part four, we've got the cards to watch. You and I have some picks, good places to put some value. And then we're going to go over all the cards that have popped out in March of the Machine in segment five, both for Commander, Modern, and Pioneer, along with who's the best commander to play with. Alrighty, let's kick things off with the metagame week in review. We've got Modern Challenge from April 9th. That was Sunday's challenge. Uh, real spicy one here. We have Blue Red Murktide in first, Jeskai Breach in second, Burn in fourth, Mono Green Tron in fifth, Creativity Combo in sixth, Blue Red Murktide again in seventh, and Rakdos Scam helping to cement its top eight potential with an eighth place finish. However, all the spice over in this uh, top eight comes from a single deck. This is Mono Black Coffers, making the first top eight in modern that I can ever remember, to be honest. We've got four Relic of Progenitus, four Fatal Push, four March of Wretched Sorrow. This is the rare out of Neon Dynasty. Four Knight's Whisper, three Damnation, three Blood Chief's Thirst, four Profane Tutor, four Invoke Despair, which typically you see dominating standard in big black decks and occasionally in Pioneer, four Karn the Great Creator to go get a uh, artifact toolbox out of the sideboard that includes Ensnaring Bridge, Sundering Titan, Liquid Metal Coating, Graft Digger's Cage, Worm Coil Engine, Engineered Explosives, Cityscape Leveler, and the Stone Brain. That mana base is where the, the special sauce comes in. Four Urborg, Tomb of Yogmoth, and four Cabal Coffers means that everything is a swamp, contributing to Cabal Coffers' ability to ramp your mana once you get up to four, five, six swamps in play. We're also dealing with, uh, this This deck is running the full 8 copies of Field of Ruin plus Demolition Field. It's just looking to wreck non-basics and get more swamps into play, even with uh, Urborg out there. Um, I'm trying to figure out if there is a particular combo. There's nothing that searches up Cabal Coffers, which is usually what you see in something like this. But we're just dealing with pure value and between Fatal Push, March, Damnation, Blood Chief's Thirst, and Invoke Despair, I think that covers all your bases for things you need to kill. 
And then when you're ready, you just carn up whatever finisher you want. You got the Titan, you've got uh, the Cityscape Leveler, the Worm Coil. There are some decks that just cannot do anything about a mana base like this. The funny thing about March of Wretched Sorrow is it can't target players. So as much as it wants to be drain life to your coffers, right. it's, it only does that to creatures or planeswalkers. But it's interesting because with a coffers in play and, and four swamps, you're making, what, six mana? So this yes. this is a, a drain for five against whatever creature it needs to go after. And that just so happens to be the size of a Merktide, right? Yep. That's that's exactly what you need to take care of. I think part of it, too, is that with eight cards that will kill a land and let you go find a basic, I think that's part of the whole strategy, too. Like, the, the Merktide and Breach decks aren't playing a lot of straight island and mountain. It's all uh, non-basic stuff that you can't go find with the fields. So I'm sure that was playing a part as well. Against Omnath decks, against Creativity decks, where their mana is, is seriously strained and they're trying to go get Triomes, against the Domain decks, against uh, Teamer Cascade, uh, I would imagine that, yeah, basics are hard to come by. So if they can get that off two or three times in a, in a game, they could be executing a mana denial plan. Yep, I like it. I especially, I, I still love Rakdos Scam as a... Uh... As a name for a deck, I love the way that we name our our decks and stuff, like calling decks or something breakfast or whatever. So I don't know if we're ever going to see this deck again, but very cool stuff. Uh, over at my, in the Pioneer Challenge on the Saturday, it was taken down by Red Green Aggro on the back of Four Atarka's Command. And if you're in an aggro attack strategy as opposed to a burn strategy, there are very few cards more satisfying to cast than Atarka's Command. I mean, you've got. A- Four Swift Spear to go with Soul Scar Mage, uh, Phoenix Check, Kumano Faces, Kazakhan. Like, this is all just cheap kill, cheap kill, cheap kill. You're going to go all out on this. I love a Miser Audacity to throw on your Swift Spear or whatever. And then having this uh, three of Reckless Bushwhacker, that's money. You throw down your uh, Burning Tree Emissary into Reckless, Bush- Reckless Bushwhacker. That's a combo that's been around a long time and is just, you look down and you're dead on turn three and you're like, what happened? Where did my board go? How am I dead? Turn three after two threats and a command, you could be taking seven, eight, nine damage. Yeah, this is on top of, you know, a mana base. This is Pioneer, so you're not running the full fetch land into shock land pain, but you're still looking at some pain. And they they also have the god hands here with Burning Tree Emissary where they go like threat, hit you second turn burning tree burning tree burning tree threat bushwhacker yeah it's it can be very nasty so uh not particularly surprising to see it take down a very mid-rangey field rakdos mid in second mono green in third blue white control in fourth mono green in seventh and grease fang in eighth the spice here was in five color niv mizzet in the fifth place list and the enigmatic incarnation deck uh making another appearance in the top eight of a major pioneer event in sixth just more to love with these awesome uh multicolor i want it all and i want it now kind of decks i can't i can't get enough of this mana base this is a a yorion bring the light and it is a beautiful beautiful thing if you look at the 37 lands almost no repeats in there except for the four fabled passage yeah 
Moving on over to top paper movers of the week, we kick things off with Footsteps of the Goryeo, making additional movement on the back of the Modern Reanimator deck that was uh, being championed by Aspiring Spike. 5 to 750, 50% gains. The Elder Spell foils at a War of the Spark, uh, which is the only ever printing it's ever had, went 4 to $6, 50% gains there. And I would imagine that if it dodges a Secret Layer reprinting in the next year, you may well see the Elder Spell foils end up in the $10 to $20 range since there just won't be a place for them to show up. It's most likely home is probably something like the list, but those wouldn't be foil. Moving right along, we've got Vampire Hexmage Old Borders out of Time Spiral Remastered, 250 to 5. We already saw the foil spike on the interactions between this and Battles, and now we see the regular copies going. I've got my Russian copies listed at a pretty penny. Bone Scythe Sliver Foil Extended Art, the secret layer bonus card that was only available in, I can't remember if it was one, two, or three drops that it showed up in, uh, but these have just drained out from $25 to $30 up to, put a question mark on it, could be 60 could be 80 the market has yet to settle. It's the Sliver King EDH deck that's incoming this summer on the back of Commander Masters that's driving that. The Red Terror out of 40k decks is a infinite combo with a card in mom and it went four to ten dollars in non-foil as a result for 150 percent gains we've also got city on fire which tolerian uh, college on youtube called the top card to purchase from march of the machine pushing it from four to twelve dollars there's no way you want this at $12. This is basically Fiery Emancipation all over again, but it's a rare instead of a mythic, and it's in a, in a very popular, heavily printed set, not a summer set. And yes, you can convoke it into play, but that requires a very specific deck type. The most likely homes for it in EDH are things like Gears and Goblins or other Goblin decks, or in Ginny Fey and Jetmere, where you have... Jeskai or Naya token strategies that, that would want to leverage it. And in those decks, it's going to be very good. But it's still not a Ristic Study, an Esper Sentinel, a Fable of the Mirror Breaker, where it's just going to slot into all sorts of decks in a bunch of different formats. Very unlikely that I think you see this show up in Modern. It might be playable in Pioneer, but I, I would imagine that you'll see max one list running it in Standard, max one list in Pioneer and it'll see strong EDH play. It's probably one of the top 10 EDH cards for the set, but again, rare, not a mythic, so it was semi-interesting at $4, but now that it's been driven up by the prof video to over 10 on pre-order, it's absolutely wait until the lows two or three months from now. Yeah, this is uh, a card that I will want to have a lot of in my spec box. It's just I definitely wasn't going to be buying it even at $4, I thought it had room to fall. Like you said, it's a it's a rare in a set we're about to open an absolute ton of as we go chasing after even more serialized cards. So I I think the prof has, is right about wanting to have it. I just think the timing is absolutely incorrect. And uh, if you are buying at 6 or $8, I'm, I'm got bad news for you. It's going to be four dollars and less again in something like four to six weeks yeah atla palani foil etched out of double masters 2022 going seven to 25 dollars presumably on ixalan hype somebody trying to get out ahead of 
that and leverage the fact that the foil etched legends in double masters 2022 were not at a super high drop rate overall unless they know something we don't know about egg tokens being a big thing in the coming exelon set i don't see where why this makes any sense it's not that popular of a commander it's i think in the top 35 at present or something but hasn't breached top 30 since its release I've played against it here and there in Commander, but it's, it's just never going to be an Atraxa-level Commander in the format, so don't know what's going on there. It's neat. I'm sure people are having a good time with it, and I'm glad that they are, because I think this is exactly that. Somebody's trying to buy out ahead of time, and I doubt that'll be successful. Kinsbale Cavalier at a Morning Tide, 5 to $20. I'm assuming this is on it missing a reprint in the Blue-White Knight's Day deck for edh that is coming out alongside uh, march of the machine we've also got ultramarines honor guard surge foils at a 40k three dollars to 20 that'll be our surge target of the week 500 percent plus gains if you can find somebody to buy them from you and then dan dan on the back of the dan dan format chronicles copies the lowest of the low going 50 cents to five dollars and i'm sure the guys that have tons of bulk in the garage are just absolutely horrified and stoked at the same time that they a have to go pick all their dandans and b have suddenly have three hundred dollars of dandans in the house i it, it almost feels like penance to have to be selling uh one dandan at a time on tcg players something like that but yes uh i would be absolutely selling into this hype almost any chronicles card is worth nothing uh good job getting rid of yours if you can if there was a bingo card 10 years ago when we started MTG Finance that said, name the next Relentless Rats or Shadowborn Apostle that people are going to want a bunch of copies of at the same time, I don't think Dan Dan would have made my card. People have decided this is this is the card to do. Uh, we'll see if it lasts beyond a, a meme format kind of a thing, but I would you know sell into the hype. This could be the next Tiny Leaders for all we know, and people need a whole bunch of this silly-ass fish. Well, it's not really a tiny leaders thing because it's not a format that Wizards has endorsed that is they're trying to push through at an LGS level for some kind of sales purpose. This is a homegrown two-player format where you play from the same deck. Right. And it just so happens that apparently that format is super fun and very skill testing. And so the people that are all about like min-maxing the like optimal lines of play are super into the format. And and a couple of videos have been made about it on YouTube, and as a result, including I think Rhystic Studies, and as a result, it's uh, yeah, it's popping off. Top Magic Online movers of the week: we've got Caves of Chaos Adventurer going three point nine three ticks to six point eight five. That's going to be Legacy play and also some EDH play, I'd imagine, uh, since it's the only digital client where you can play EDH these days. And I just had this played against me again this weekend in the Pro Trader EDH Night Games, and no matter what initiative-based card is tabled, they're always broken. Yeah, they always they always do way more than you think they're gonna do. And both of the white ones and the red one, you kind of look at them and you think, ah, it's like oh, such so expensive for a five three doesn't so many lines of text i'm not even going to bother reading it and then a few turns later they have completed the dungeon <laughs> and you're like what how did that happen how did we yeah let and this... you're just miserable yeah it, it's good the card's good the initiative's broken it, it that set is better than people think it is the, those cards are all good and when i say them i mean the initiative cards 
Fiendish mm-hmm. Duo promos uh, on Magic Online, 1.04 ticks to 2.6. That's City on Fire hype, I would guess. People going after cards that they think partner with it. But Fiendish Duo isn't legal in, in most formats, so I guess EDH. Uh, and then kicking the top gainer of the week is Timeless Lotus at a Dominaria United. This is a card that actually has held up pretty well. I think people predicted this was going to be bulk. It's not bulk. This card is $10 plus last I checked. In fact, it is at $14.46 market price on TCG Player. I just used Jetfire, I think, on turn three to turn four this in Commander, where you play the backside of Jetfire, and then I adapted it, which puts three counters on it, which lets me hit for six, then take three counters off to make three colorless, and then I cast Timeless Lotus. And mm. I had 10 or 12 mana on turn five in Jota. So this is a five-color from here to eternity card. Uh, if you have any way to untap legendary permanence, it's even better. And the reason it's kicking off is none of that. It's about an amulet t- lotus modern deck that Aspiring Spike has been streaming a healthy chunk of the last week, where he's taken down a couple of leagues. And his premise is that you don't need amulet, you don't need Titan and Amulet Titan anymore. You can just be running this, and then they he uses Door to Nothingness, I think, to finish them off. Right. Because you basically just need to be able to. You have amulets in play, so Timeless Lotus taps. Sorry, if you have two amulets and you play Timeless Lotus into it, you're going to get two untap triggers, which is going to let you tap it twice to make the the ten mana of two to, of all five colors, two of each. It's perfect. And then, and then that would kick off the door to nothingness. And you're saying, well, how do you get? How do you guarantee two amulets in play? And the answer is Urza Saga goes and finds the stupid things so that you have it in play and you can do busted-ass stuff. You're going to go off. If you play a Saga turn one and a Saga turn two, that means turn four, both Sagas have popped off. And you've played some other lands. You've done other things. And GG, you just got door to nothingness out. Well, the other part of it, though, is the Mycosynth Gardens showing up in uh, All Will Be One, because that lets you get four extra amulets in your deck for a very cheap cost. Gardens can turn into an amulet for one mana. So... The redundancy is real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would definitely keep your eye on Timeless Lotus Foils, which I just snapped some off in Japan, because there is no fancy version of this card. Yes, there was. that's something we know. I noted when... I did the math thereof. This was one of the things that, for whatever reason, they decided they weren't going to do some fancy artifact frame for this. And uh, I think Weatherlight Completed was the other one that did not get a fancy version. Right. There's no. There's not even a foil extended art though of this. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Just just basic foil. So their foils are currently at just about the same price as regulars, and are likely to show up here as a pick sometime shortly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just picked them up in japanese foils for eight eight hundred yen which is like 650 us or something oh you bad man easy breezy moving on over to cards to watch let's talk about two cards you can get your hands on pretty easily in the u.s uh how about a couple more oil slicks it seems like the time is right a lot of these cards have been dropping hard on the back of those cheap complete bundles that people got on amazon not long ago but this is still uh, a relatively limited release overall, and some of these cards are seeing tremendous amounts of play. I, I talked about the Sword of Forge and Frontier, calling it when it was at 
there were $35 copies available on TCG, and I said, hey, you may want to wait. These might get down to 30 but a few weeks later, they're at 40 not 30 So you may not want to sleep on the swords either because that's the only fancy version of the sword. The other one like that is Ikramoon Gauntlet, which will show up on here sooner or later. But the top card on EDH Rec from All Will Be One is none of those. It's Mondrock. Mondrock is in, I believe, 18,000. Let me just see, double check this. I think it's in 18,000 decks on EDH Rec, which is 7% of all white decks since it came out, which is even more than Elish Norn, Mother of Machines, more than Canker Bloom, more than Squelve Defector Might, even more than Microsynth Gardens. So Mondrak is going to be in every tokens build from here to eternity in the same way that Fiery Emancipation is in every Goblins or Burn build in, in EDH. And likewise, they are both Mythics. And then Mondrak has the upside of being able to sack two artifacts and or creatures for potentially one mana and four life to make Mondrak indestructible so that they can't easily get rid short of a farewell or something like that of your token doubling capabilities. It was on table against me in two different decks this weekend Ginny Faye was one of them the other can't remember for sure maybe I saw it in Marnius Kelgar or something but it does exactly what it says it will do it doubles up tokens in Ginny Faye you make a bunch of treasures off Smothering Tithe which turns into two 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 hasty cats or three one vigilance dogs etc etc and if they get a doubling season out then they get to double up again so it's, it's very very nasty and the Oil slicks have come down to about $40. I think for these to go 40 to 60 on an 18-month timeline seems very likely. They sell four to five copies a day, which is a brisk pace for a $40 fancy mythic. And I don't think you want to sleep on this. You could hope for summer lulls that these get get a little softer on price as a little more inventory fills into the market. But I think we've passed the peak hype cycle for Oil Slicks. We're on to March of the Machines, then it's going to be Aftermath, then it's Lord of the Rings, then it's Commander Masters. We've got a very busy four months coming up, and that leads me to believe that most of the cracking cycle on Oil Slicks is complete, and somewhere in the next three months, you're going to want to bite off your Mondrocks. I can't argue with any of that. Uh, Mondrak is an awesome card that you want to have in any... Token deck, uh, we know how good that is. Uh, what's the white version of uh, Anointed Procession, where you get yep. the double up? And that's a card that's already this expensive, and it doesn't come with the indestructibility. You can't make it your commander. So I think that any oil slick, especially for personal use, is something you should really be buying, like you said. And I, I can't argue with this at all. This is something that I have already done several times over to get all the oil slicks for my decks and i'm picking up extras here and there as i can because i agree with you that these are on a great long-term curve all right what is your first selection of the week uh my first pick this week is something that is close to my heart uh, it's something every dragons player should at least consider it is sarkin's unsealing the enchantment out of uh corset m19 you can get foil versions for two dollars fifty cents uh, this is right when they started goosing the foil numbers, right before Throne of Eldraine came out to give a special version. So there's no uh, extended art foil yet. There's no special version to chase. It's only in about 10,000 decks. But if you like to cast big creatures, this is a card you should be playing. More importantly, there's only about 25 vendors, and only one vendor has anything approaching a wall, and that's only 14. 
So there's not a lot of these left, and they move at a, a nice pace. And it is just a backbreaking card if you've ever had it in play. I think that there is a really risk, a really real risk of a reprint sometime soon. I would not be surprised to see this in Commander Masters, for instance, as it still has a pretty low price, or somebody's Commander deck. But I think the foils are relatively low risk, and I'm picking them to go. Uh, I believe I said about $4 to about 10 because once the last few copies are go, it's going to go up the ramp and we're good to go. Right, like this isn't like a true commander staple. So this is the kind of rare that bulk rare that could easily end up in Commander Masters, but they could also easily skip this. There's they could. Four, there's four or 500 cards they could choose for a slot like I this. I mean, the risk of reprints with uh, Commander Masters and all kinds of other stuff is just always present in my mind. If you get secret a secret layer that is themed in any way alongside some of the stuff around Commander Masters, it gets a little more likely there. Like if they did a secret layer that's like a cool version of a card that some of the good mythics from that set might want in Commander, maybe. But yeah, I'd say the the, the reprint risk on this is lowish. It's again the kind of card that's most likely to show up in the list. There are no new mystery booster releases so far as we know. So that's kind of off the table. Secret Lair, Commander Masters, and if it dodges all of that and people are building the Ur-Dragon this summer and fall, then yeah, this might well get there. I, I do believe it is almost inevitable to get there. The second oil slick on my list is Vraska Betrayal's Sting, and I looked very carefully here at whether we should be going after the oil slicks or the Step and Complete Foils. Step and Complete Foils are sitting at $40, which is significantly off their high. But more importantly, despite the fact that I think that actually looks better, like with Mondrock, I think the best art is actually the oil slick art. I think the showcase art's very weak. Okay. The But with Vraska Step and Complete, the art is, I think, the best. The Oil Slick is just tough to make out what's going on, whereas the Mondrak comes across as being kind of Geiger-esque, and it kind of works. The thing about the Vraska Oil Slicks, though, is they're half the price. They're $19 right now. There's not all that many more of them than the Step and Complete foils. It's the sixth most played card on EDH Rec from this set. And I think it's in 4% or 5% of all black decks so far. 4% of all black decks since release. It plays very well inside uh, something like Attracts of Planeswalkers, which of course is one of the most popular decks of all time. Because when it comes in under a Vorinclex or a doubling season, it can loyal it can minus 9 off of 12 loyalty right away. And then if target player has fewer than 9 poison canners, they get a number of poison canners equal to the difference. And then she just has to survive one more turn to proliferate and they're dead the zero is you draw a card and lose a life proliferate which fits into all the atraxa and other poison builds that are getting built this year because of all the cards that we've gotten from this cycle of phyrexian focused sets and then the minus two is relevant all the time because its target creature becomes a treasure artifact with sacrifice this artifact add one man of any color which is basically providing a speed bump for people's commanders and potentially gets rid of a problematic combo piece in the mid game so it's just a good planeswalker even if you're not doing the poison thing or the planeswalker thing but extra good in those decks and those decks are very popular so the most importantly it sells way more copies per day than the 40 dollars step and completes do which are kind of like onesie twosie then it takes a few days off then another onesie twosie whereas this has been a steady four to five a day for weeks 
And that leads me to believe that for this to go, say, 19 to 35 and provide a, you know, a modest set of gains after shipping and, and fees could end up at 40, could end up at 45, could it end up at 50, given it, you know, 12, 18, 24 months. And I don't see how it's going to be, you know, easy to go wrong here. The, the biggest difference between this versus something like the Sword or the Icar Moon Gauntlet, of course, is that there's a bunch of different versions. There's a Phyrexianized version, there's the Showcase, there's the uh, Stepping Complete, and the Borderless Foil, and the Regulars. I mean, there's a lot. But I think the only two that collectors will really care about is Oil Slick and Step and Complete Foils. And of the two, this looks like the better financial decision. I agree. Uh, like I said, you know, Oil Slicks are where you want to be. Uh, Step and Completes had their own slot in collector boosters. So those are not as hard to pull as other premium versions may be. So uh, again, I am I'm with you on this. We are at maximum supply for Oil Slicks and we are nowhere... Well, we're about to start opening uh, March the Machine stuff, so I think we're near to maximum supply, but we're still going to have enough of uh, other people opening collector boosters for All Will Be One that we're still going to see some entering the realm, and I wouldn't want to be buying these cards uh, in non-oil slick for probably another three months until the supply really has a chance to completely saturate the market. All right, tell me about your final selection this week. Uh, my other pick this week is a card that uh, I was looking through all of Dominaria United and thinking, okay, that makes sense, that makes sense. Why is this so expensive? It's Silverback Elder out of Dominaria United. You can get uh, foil extended arts for around $11 right now on TCG Player. It's already in 15,000 Commander decks online. That's pretty good for a card that came out uh, when it did. But it's not played anywhere. It's not in Pioneer, it's not in Modern, it's it's in nothing, but it's still an $11 FEA Mythic, and it must just be from the casual demand. People don't want to let this card go, and it makes sense. You know, it's 5 mana for a 5-7 that gives you ridiculous bonuses with everything you cast. There's no walls left of it. It sells a bunch of copies every day, a good number of copies every day, I should say, and I I think it's going to hit $20 sometime in the next 12 to 18 months. It's just a generically good card. It doesn't have any particular synergy aside from are you casting creature spells. So it's not like an auto-include in a token or a dragon deck or what have you. Uh, it is an ape for that particular commander, but I don't see this as having enough overlap there to be why this is so expensive and selling so many copies. I mean, this was we we listed this as the fourth best EDH card in this set back right. when we did the review. Um, after Plaza of Heroes, Shieldred, and Sarah Paragon. And months later, if we look at the top played cards from that set, top four is actually Plaza of Heroes, so we got that one right. Braids is in second, and that didn't make our list. Shieldred is in third, and we had it at second. Ellis Ilcore is in fourth. Relic of Legends. Uh, we had in sixth, and it's in fifth, and so we weren't weren't way way off there. The thing about Silverback Elder is it doesn't actually have good interactions in token decks because you have to cast the creature to get right. a trigger. Um, but in in green good stuff decks or something like Moldrotha, where I'm casting spells out of the yard constantly, I mean, creatures out of the yard on a per turn basis and usually it doesn't even matter if i've got moldroth in play because i've got other ways to be doing that like conduit of worlds and stuff now the 
it's the destroy target artifact or enchantment. Sure. Getting getting to repeat that is a big deal. And then look at the top five cards of your library and, and go get a land from among them can be very good to go get something like a guy's cradle or a cabal coffers or whatever it is that you need to pull things together. And then the gaining life is usually the last thing you're, you tend to choose, but it's, it's a five, seven for five. So it blocks really well. And then, but it's not a huge threat and typically you're not going to go out of your way to swing with it so that you don't make it a threat and draw swords or whatever. You just kind of let it sit there and generate iterative advantage and that's plenty enough and and as a result that edh demand has you know driven it to like a ten dollar card retail even in regular versions and it's in it's only in three percent of all green decks that's not eight percent of all green decks but that's still a very impressive number so yeah glad you agree with me on that pick uh i mean i don't know how long it's going to take for these to drain out is the thing i mean a lot of that set got opened but they have held their floor pretty well so I don't think they have a lot of downside from here. I just think it's going to be a slow, steady drift upwards. Like you're giving it up to 18 months to get from 11 to 20. That sounds about right because it's a mythic, not a rare. And the one thing that could pretty easily happen is that something else gets printed that does the job just as well or is very close to it just because it's sure. a, a bit of a generic card. Whereas something like Sarkin's Unsealing, they don't print every day, and something like that every day. It's a very, very unique card. And uh, stuff like Mondrock, they'll keep giving you those kinds of effects, but it's usually on a three to five year cycle. They don't want to put six anointed processions into EDH. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, all right. So that's uh, pretty solid cards to watch. Let's move on over to our weekly topic, the March of Machines. <laughs> I think me and every other content creator says this wrong all the right. time. People, I've heard March of the Machine, March of the Machines, March of Machine... March of the machine. Yeah, it's March of the machine. But we'll just go with mom. Overall, my hot take is this is a good set. This is a... People in our Discord have been debating whether this is like Strixhaven, where you have a really bad set with the Mystical Archives style thing through the Multiverse Legends that's meant to buoy the set. And I think to some degree that's true, but not because the set's bad the mythics in the set are way better than strixhaven like if you mm-hmm. look at if you look at strixhaven and see how many mythics are over ten dollars it is very very few yeah so if we look at the mythics from strixhaven there's only three mythics over five dollars <laughs> professor onyx at six crackle with power at eight and belladris witherbloom at ten you cannot compare that to the five Praetors and a bunch of the other action that's available in uh, Mom. It's, it's just a stronger set. The Multiverse Legends is also, I think, as strong or stronger overall than Mystical Archives was. And the other thing that is improved is that you have a choice between regular, regular foil and halo foil and then serialized. Right. For the fancy cards in here. Whereas Mystical Archives had weird tension between the Japanese alt arts and the global arts, where people generally wanted the Japanese arts. And then there was a foil etched version that nobody wanted because it was so subtle. And so that, yeah, I was going to say that, that you're talking about the, the set booster version that, that looked with better foiling. And uh, we did a, a big send over to Japan, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Because the the buy list in Japan. So, I mean, there was a lot of weird dynamics with 
the mystical archives that are seem to be absent in multiverse legends where they have a fairly clear tier of drop rates and likely value where the serialized cards are the best and it's worth noting that the praetors for instance have unique art on their serialized so if you want that art you have to have a serialized i think that's going to drive prices on those pretty hard because it's not just the same card as everybody else has with a number on it it's completely different art that you can get nowhere else which is honestly something they should have done from the get-go so argue, I mean, especially given that they only pay artists a few thousand dollars per piece or whatever. So, yeah, the there's a lot going on in this set. It seems strong. I think it's relatively weak, however, for Pioneer Modern Legacy and beyond. We'll get into that in a minute, but I think it's much stronger as an EDH set and a standard set than it is for Pioneer Modern Legacy. So, let's kick things off with the easiest... Uh, pick here the top card from an edh perspective has got to be fairy mastermind and so far uh, edh rec agrees with me thing is most of the other listings of cards here they have like drana and linvala in second galta and mavern in third i mean this looks like very early data to me and i think it's going to shake out totally differently however i think fairy mastermind having played it this weekend is exactly what you think it is it is a powerful card draw engine that's not quite a ristic study but probably pretty close to an esper sentinel in edh sentinel is really nice when it comes down on turn one this you know only comes down on turn two but it has the flash surprise value so you can flash block something um if if you're willing to give up the card advantage you can block if you really want to early on in the game but most of the time you're going to drop it when somebody cantrips or something Right. Uh, on turns two, three, or four. And then you're going to draw a free card. And then it's probably going to sit there for a while because those kind of card draw engines tend to get left alone. Like, it's going to get caught up in the first sweeper that drops, sure. But that might be on turn four, five, six, seven, eight. By yeah. that time, you've probably drawn your two to four cards for two mana. And the nice thing about this is that it has that bonus text. Three and a blue, each player draws a card. So you can force the draw... And in in a player's turn, if some uh, set of effects goes off, like somebody had Arcane Denial the turn before or something, then you're going to get the automatic bonus. But if there's some kind of exchange on, during combat or something where two players have drawn their first card that turn, then you can activate and you're going to give all of them a card, but you're going to get like two or three cards off of that. Because it's each player draws a card, so you're getting one off that. If two of those players that are drawing have also already drawn that turn, then you're going to draw three cards. Yeah, no, it it scales like nothing else does. And it does so on a fairly innocuous body, and you can trigger it. It's just, it's everything you want. It's it's also got political angles, because sometimes somebody is the archenemy. They've got their, uh, you know, we, we had a game this weekend that went on for like three and a half hours or something. Uh, Fem had Brea with tons of mana, so was casting and recasting Brea over and over again and making a bunch of, bunch of treasures off Smothering Tithe that were turning into Brea triggers. And, and then he cast the Brothers War, and he had so many yeah. artifacts in play, he was going to dome two players for 20 to, on three turns away, so everybody had to scramble to contain him. And in a situation like that, you can use Mastermind to, to gift the table options on solutions. 
And you can negotiate around that. You can say, okay, I'm going to do this, but anything you draw off this can't be aimed at me. And people generally are going to say yes. In the same way that scheming symmetry is way underplayed in EDH because you can do the same nonsense. You can go tutor something up for one mana and get an agreement from somebody else to go tutor up the thing that you want them to get and end all for one. Those kind of effects are always underestimated. They're so, so powerful if you're willing to have those conversations at your EDH tables. Fairy Mastermind is currently at $8 or something. That's too high, even for, for a great rare. I don't know how low it's going to get, because I think everybody that plays EDH has spotted this as potentially the breakout rare of the set. And if it's something like a Smothering Tithe, then letting it get down to $4 or whatever is a mistake. Because when Smothering Tithe was underestimated, it turned into a $30 rocket ship. So I don't know what the price is I'm supposed to jump in on these at. I looked at Japanese prices today on pre-order. They're, they're locked into place with the pricing uh, in the U.S., so there's no bargains to be had there. I think what you want to happen is that it turns out to be only an EDH card, like it doesn't show up in Standard or Pioneer, which is a distinct possibility, you know, because... Yes. There's a bunch of decks, in, and maybe even modern, maybe. The thing is, I don't know what deck this would go into in modern. But in, in terms of the effect, would you want an effect in modern for two mana that let you draw the first time your opponent had drawn the second time in a turn? Probably. But I don't know if this is the right... Like, I don't know if you want it on a flying body that's easily killed. Well, I mean, uh, it's two mana, right? Yeah. The card? So um, think of it this way. In modern, the first time they cast, they do something on their turn that lets them draw a card. You flash this in, and you get a two-one flyer for two that draws you a card. Everything after that is gravy and extra and delicious, but like that's your your baseline, and that's pretty good. You know, um, you can't. It, it's not legacy, so you're not thinking, oh, it's a blue card. Pitch it to force a will. Always important. Uh, you can pitch it to force a negation, but that's not nearly as common as it used to be. We care more about white and red cards for Solitude and Fury at this point. Well, and you, you can pitch it to Subtlety, but again, I don't think the decks that run Subtlety have any interest in this. It would be really cute, though, if in Eldraine we got some more fairies. Yes. And then blue-black fairies was actually a thing. Because keep in mind that Yuda it's made rogue. this... Yeah, Yuda made this card because he was a famous blue-black fairies player. Right. Now, blue-black fairies hasn't raised it, you know, reared its head in modern in quite some time, but it would be super funny if they gave us another one or two busted fairies this fall and then all of a sudden this was relevant <laughs> uh card to watch for sure i just don't know what the i don't know what the price is that you're supposed to be going after mastermind because um, to my mind this could end up like thieving skydiver where i still to this day think despite thieving skydiver having very solid stats on edh rec you know it's not like i'm the only person that plays it it hasn't really gone anywhere in foil extended art so right. is this going to be the next Smothering Tithe or is it going to be the next Thieving Skydiver? And I just won't know until we see this play out over the next three months or so. Um, now, here's the cards that I think, and you haven't had a chance to give me your opinion here yet, so you can debate this with me. <laughs> I think are, are probably so far underrepresented on EDH Rack, and if it stayed that way, I think it would be a mistake. Elish Norn. If anybody's thinking, I saw various chatter on social media where people said this is weak. I hate to break it to you. This ain't weak. (laughs) I I played against this this weekend. This card is way better than you think it is. It's a 3-5 Vigilance for 4. Unexciting. Sure. 
But whenever a source an opponent controls deals damage to you or a permanent you control, that source's controller loses two life unless they pay two. I mean, pay one. You're not reading that right. That's not just a propaganda ghostly prison variant where they can pay life to attack you. That comes into play if they do any damage to your permanence. So they got a city on fire out. They're pinging your stuff. They got to pay for that. If they are, they want to uh, block you when you are attacking, they got to pay for that too. So they have to manage their their life total and mana very carefully in this situation. And if you also have something like a protection racket in your deck and you have uh, the black single casting cost enchantment that I forget all the time, Blood Chief's Ascension, that's you know draining the table that kind of those kind of effects add up my protection racket this weekend ate something like 27 life from the table which is not (laughs) not uncommon for a protection racket because they're like no i don't want you to have a sensitized divining top yes the lands we get to throw away from you are free but oh yeah we definitely don't want you to have a timeless lotus we don't want you to have the six drop whatever it adds up and norn adds to all of that and on that basis, this would be a playable card, even if it didn't have the backside, but it does have a backside, and the backside is ridiculous. Two and a white, sack three other creatures. That's very steep outside of token decks, and so people are going to think that she's limited to token decks, but the reality is that that front side is strong enough that you would consider playing it just as a better ghostly prison that has broader applications. It doesn't just stop attacks, it stops damage without consideration now when she flips if you're in a token deck things get real silly in a hurry she incubates five times and then transform all incubator tokens you control so you get five two twos when she flips so you sacked three creatures but you got five two twos in in return so it's not even that punishing if those creatures weren't important weren't specifically important she replaces them and upgrades then on the next turn, creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and double strike until end of turn, which sets you up to alpha somebody. And then the last one is destroy all other permanents except for artifacts, lands, and Phyrexians. So even if you're like in a mono-white stacks build, you might be willing to let all your stuff go except for your lands, all of your incubate tokens, some random artifact creatures like a lodestone golem or something you have in play, and then destroy everybody else's stuff that's basically like a cyclonic rift right overloaded and then it flips back all these stupid predators flip back to the other side (laughs) so as they're rebuilding and they're dealing trying to deal damage to your incubate tokens that lit survived all that they have to pay life to block them yep or mana depending on whether they're trying to redevelop this card is is good it's not i think the uh, you can make the argument the other two elish norns are still better but I maintain my my perspective that there are no bad Norn cards. This might just be the worst of three excellent cards. I think that's the best way to look at it. Uh, I'm a big fan of basically all of these, uh, all five Praetors. I don't think any of them are bad. I think that unless you have a good reason not to play, like Ourobrask is clearly asking for a specific deck type, but if you're playing that deck type, Ourobrask is phenomenal. Uh, Shieldred is just uh, bonkers, bonkers good. But the fact that you have these legendaries that are sagas and they these can be your commander, they can, they can come and go, these are enormously powerful cards. And I think these are going to be high on the inclusion list 
for quite a while. It it's hard to see like Vorinclex lets you uh, recast him every time for cheaper, and Jingataxius is just uh, everything that you want in a blue deck. Backsides you know? into a Seagate's restoration, etc. Yeah, it's the- just silly. What I'm looking for here for the top EDH cards is the stuff that's broadly applicable regardless of theme. And I talked about Shouldered last week, but just to quickly go over this, it's a 4-5 menace for 5, already a solid body. When it enters the battlefield, every opponent sacrifices a non-token creature. So you think, oh, sack, they just pick what they... Yeah, but they're still losing something significant because most people don't play bad creatures that aren't tokens. So something good is dying on their side. And if it's after a, a recent wipe or whatever, you and they all replay their commander, you can wipe all the commanders. It's You have a lot of control over what you do with Shieldred. She's also very easy to flip because all she cares about is that there's eight or more cards in an opponent's graveyard. Easy breezy in the mid game in EDH, exactly when you want to be casting this on turns like four through eight. It only costs five to flip her, and then she flips into more nastiness right away. For each opponent, destroy up to one target creature or planeswalker they control is the first part of the saga. Then it goes to each opponent discards three cards, then mills three cards. And then on the turn after that, you take control of all creatures from all battlefields. And then flip it back to the other side, and they all sack a creature again. It's just so good. It's It, it really is. And it's just good in black decks. Right. Like Shield or the Apocalypse, I don't. I, you're going to have to... If you have a heavily themed deck... Or if you're like Cliff, you, you're a purist in your dragon deck and you refuse I to really play on dragons or yeah, whatever. It's very cool. True. But generally speaking, if you're playing black, you're probably supposed to play the Apocalypse. You're probably supposed to play this Shieldred. And if you have synergies that support them, awesome. They're, they're yeah. just that good. They're the, just the that other good. One, the other one that I realized the other day is, is much better um, both as a card and a commander than I thought is a Tally Primal Conqueror. Because in he, when he's a commander... You don't have access to reanimation spells. I mentioned this last week. But in the 99, in Jund 4-color and 5-color decks, you do have access to reanimation spells. And in the 99 is where he's going to do just a ridiculous amount of work. Because this is a 7-7 for 7, sure. So it's not cheap. And there's lots of cards at 7 mana that do big things, you know, from Cyclonic Rift on down in Commander. But in a reanimation deck... This is just silly. Like, it comes into play. You Each player, each player, all four of you, exile cards from the top of your library until you hit a non-land card. Then you cast all of them. So, oh, yeah, I mean, turn, yeah, one, just party turn, one on. faith, turn one Faithless Looting, turn two Reanimate Itali, cast four spells. <laughs> okay, okay. And then later, for nine or ten mana, you flip it into Blightsteel Colossus. Trample Indestructible, 11-11. Deals combat damage as poison counters. Silly. It's a silly card. And people, it's a big dinosaur. We're heading back to Ixalan, so there's going to be more dinosaur synergies in the fall. P- people are going to build this as a commander. People are going to build put this in the 99 of Jund Plus decks. And it it's probably, you know, we, we touched on this last week. I think it's better than the other Itali because you have to attack with the other Itali and it doesn't have haste. So often what you're trying to do is get an Italian to play with a Lightning Greaves or something on the table. But right. a Primal Conqueror doesn't give a shit. Nope, you know? doesn't care. Doesn't care. So it's probably better because you're getting those spells right away. And casting four things for seven is not trivial because lands, you, you can't get snagged on lands. Right. So you're hitting 
at minimum a mana rock from a player you hit somebody else's smothering tithe you hit somebody else's damnation which maybe you don't want to play and then you hit somebody else's like six drop or something that's really your worst case is you you hit uh some kind of board wipe effect but you know it's hard to argue with something as efficient as i'm paying seven mana for a seven seven creature and the next four spells <clears throat> and if you're reanimating maybe you don't even care that you hit damn- damnation maybe that's fine because there's 30 creatures on the table and your Atali is good, but it's not good enough to get past them. Yeah. I, I think we're going to see a lot of neat Atali decks. And the fun thing about a deck like this is your commander's your entire plan. So your deck can be all just mana ramp and uh, get there sooner on casting a seven drop. Who's going to die repeatedly because they will not let you keep this card around because you only get that effect when it enters the battlefield but if he stays around, then you flip him over and you just start saying, okay, your game's over, your game's over, your game's over. The other one that the other good. one that's that's gotta be top five here is Sword of Once and Future. All the other swords are like fifty K plus decks or something. I think Sword of Hearth and Home is at sixty three thousand. Sword of Forge and Frontier, just a few months out, is already at eight eight thousand. I mean it's it's going to be at least a demi staple if not a super staple and the sword cycle is now complete so people have lots of choices but this one does cute things that are are useful in an edh setting so it'll see some play and then my honorable mention i think goes to ren and realm breaker because in constructed i uh, people are struggling to figure out what which decks wanted outside of standard but I'm not really confused about that for EDH where this thing just does so much stuff, right? Like it just does a bunch of things that are complementary to strategies. Like for instance, in Muldratha, I'm in three color. I want my lands to be very flexy. This me this immediately fixes my land. It gives me a blocker to protect Ren. It lets me mill cards, which I can then put one of back into my hand it also sets up my graveyard and then on the minus seven i get a duplication of my commander's ability and there's going to be a lot of decks that have graveyard interactions that want the mana fixing and are happy to drop this for three mana and know that they can protect it right away as long as they've got one land left untapped these are all like good things about ren and realm breaker there's there's no bad way to play it and i just think that this is going to be a card where i'm curious to see if there's anything good for it to do in modern and pioneer and stuff then the sky's the limit for what the the price will be on this we've we've got a situation where these cards should get pretty cheap because people will be cracking boxes chasing the um the serialized cards uh, your serialized cards, we estimated, was every 143 packs. That's roughly every 12th box of collector boosters. So people will be going after these surprisingly hard to try and score some of these very, very cool serialized cards. And like if we saw that under normal circumstances, like some of these mythics and rares could hold really high prices, but I don't know if we can have all of the new Praetor slash Saga cycle be expensive, plus Ren and Realm Breaker, plus a sword. Uh, well, you also you know, have all five original Praetors reprinted here. 
Right. And so there's there's a lot going on in terms and of... And Ragavan. And Ragavan. We can't forget Mr. Rags himself. So there's a lot of EV drain there. That part of the analysis that the comparison to Strixhaven is correct. It should make the average rare, the average mythic cheaper um, because the EV has to be shared amongst a bunch of the stuff that drops in, in the boxes. Now, keep in mind, a lot of the fanciest stuff can only be found in collector boosters, so that does change some of the math. But let's talk about the best new commanders in the set. According to EDH Rec, the most built so far at almost 1,200 decks is Thalia and the Gitrog monster. And I played against it this weekend uh, four, three times in one night. This huh. is a very good commander. <laughs> Extremely obnoxious. 4-4, four, four, first strike, death touch, so you can't attack into it. You may play an additional land on each of your turns, so they leverage all the same land, you know, land drop type stuff that other lands matters decks do. Creatures and non-basic lands your opponent's control enter the battlefield tapped. Extremely obnoxious. That basically steals Extremely a turn from the- Extremely obnoxious. Steams, steals a turn from the table. Hasty stuff doesn't count, so putting your Lightning Greaves on your Atali doesn't work out for you uh, at like the, in the way that you want it to because it doesn't get to swing right away. You're always a step behind on those non-basics while they're playing extra lands, so they're getting ahead and you're falling behind. And when it attacks, they sack a creature or a land, then draw a card. They're probably playing Conduit of Worlds. They're playing Crucible of Worlds. They can recast those lands later, so they're getting free cards out of that. And they can play as a token strategy with a Convoke sub-theme if they want to and sack creatures instead. And then they can use Blood Artist and all sorts of other stuff uh, to leverage that. So it's very good, very flexible bunch of ways to build it. And I think it's going to be quite popular. Uh, I would imagine that fancy versions of that are probably going to be worth money down the road. It's also two very popular characters and it's hilarious. Thalia is riding a giant frog. So... Who doesn't want to ride a giant frog? The other one I think is maybe underrated so far. It's not even in the top. It's the top, It's the 10th most reported so far at EDH Rack is Drana and Linvala. One double white black 3-4 flying vigilance. Relatively unassuming body. But still a solid, a solid threat slash blocker. Because you're going to get in for three a lot of the time while this is sitting out there. They're rarely going to want to kill it on the basis of it attacking for three. And it's got vigilance so it's a free attack most of the time but it's very sneaky in a lot of the same ways that thalia and the gay monster is sneaky where people have trouble visualizing what it's actually going to do until the situation manifests but in your average edh game by the mid game there might be 10 or 12 different creatures on the table four or five of them might have relevant activated abilities and none of them can be activated with drana on the battle drana and linvala on the battlefield yeah. instead Anything they table, they have they realize you're going to get to use. So they have to. Re- they don't care about killing Drana and Linvala on the attack very often, but they sure will care about killing it just to get it dead, so they can do what they were trying to do. Mm. And yeah. so it it's a bit of a um, siren card where it's going to draw a lot of hate on that basis. In some games, it won't be relevant at all. Maybe maybe like their commander doesn't have activated abilities. like Something like Jota the Unifier, for instance, I could probably just ignore this because I have triggered abilities, not activated abilities. But in other games, it's just going to be totally dominating, and they're going to have to kill it over and over again with point removal to try to keep it off the board. But as a 4 casting cost commander, you're going to get to scale to 4, 6, 8, 10, 12 when they might be doing you know, 5, 7, 9, etc., 
And so, you know, it's a relatively efficient commander. It is. And I think it's going to see a lot of play under that under that context. Um, and you said this isn't big number. It's also a very solid 99 card if you throw oh, yeah. it into a white-black deck. You said it wasn't it, very big on uh, EDH rec yet? No. You can build this like in white-black stacks E decks and stuff, and it's going to be just another thorn in their side, right? Like this, Elish, various Elish Norns, <laughs> all the Norns, all the Shouldreds. I uh, do love a, a plan where you know that fun is a zero-sum game. I'm going to have all of it. You're going to have none of it. Wait, because they played Thalia and Thalia Heretic Athar. Oh my God! In that in that deck too, right? Like they can they can do all the things. And there's that that new three drop that says you can only cast one non Phyrexian spell. Right, the uncommon. I forget the yeah. name of it. The other big commander here that's more likely because I think like Drana and Linvala is very much a maybe is Croxa and Kanoros because this this thing does Joda level silliness. Right? Like this is six mana for a Vigilance Menace Lifelink. So again, a commander that attacks very cleanly because it has Vigilance and Menace. And it's a 6-6, six, six, so they're not going to want to block it very often. And whenever it, it enters the battlefield or attacks, so you're always getting the single trigger minimum. You exile five cards from your graveyard, and when you do, you return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So you can't go get the new Itali, but you can get old Itali. You can get Shieldreds, you can get all sorts of nasty things and and let them attack right away. The key here is that you're going to want to fill your stock your yard pretty frequently, um, and you're certainly, as with most graveyard strategies, vulnerable to a Bajuka Bog or whatever. Right. But this looks like a very strong commander to me. Um, according to EDH Rec, it's more about Omnath, Locus of All. I have my doubts about that one because it seems to me like. Most of what it's trying to do, you could just do in Joda, so it like fits into Joda, but doesn't seem like it like replaces Joda. Yargle and Multani has a bunch because it's an eighteen six for six, but that seems very meme ish. I can believe that Gingitaxius ends up in the top three here as a five five ward two. Whenever you cast a non creature spell, you three or greater, you draw a card, then you flip them, and a bunch of bonkers stuff happens. Bottom line is there's there's probably ten at least interesting commanders out of this set i think there's a whole bunch of like interesting commanders they they all are trying you know when they they give us these uh combination legends that all do something unique when put together it's a pretty neat thing for them to do to give us a wide range of stuff to choose from rather than just one or two to that are worth doing i still argue that i think Ginny fey probably is the commander that might have Ginny fey and joda probably gained the most from this set Sure. There's just so so many cards. Like Galta and Maverin may well see significant play as commander, but you should just be putting it in your Ginny Fey deck, where it's a seven mana twelve twelve trample. If you ever get to attack with it, just insanity ensues because you create X one one white vampire creature tokens with lifelink where X is the number of other attacking creatures. So it's another token doubler in your Mondrock doubling season deck. Because you attack with six three one dogs or whatever and you suddenly have twelve. Yeah. It's pretty wild. So, moving on to modern cards. I think it's mostly pretty niche stuff. There are two sideboard cards, Surge of Salvation and Lithomantic Barrage, that look like they're pretty solid against various uh, strategies that are in play. Lithomantic Barrage, for instance, is really good against when they cast a Fury. 
sorry, no, Surge of Salvation is the white one that's good uh, when they cast a Fury, because Surge of Salvation reads, instant for one white, you and permanents you control gain hexproof until end of turn, prevent all damage that black and or red sources would deal to creatures you control. So you can counter a Thoughtseize with that, right? And you can also counter a Fury, where they've pitched a card and spent a Fury, and out of the board you're just spending one white mana to shut that all off. You can stop a Ragavan from hitting. It's pretty amazing. You stop the final points of burn against burn. Yeah. Yeah. No, it uh it's one of these incredibly powerful uh color hoser sideboard cards we've seen before and um like I think that there's a near reprint of uh the blue a blue white one that does extra damage to um a red spell that does damage to the blue and white cards. And this one uh, hasn't done anything yet financially, but we will uh, we will see where it ends up at. I don't think these are necessarily financial targets. I don't think, in fact, any of these on the basis of their modern play are, because I think they're going to be smatterings of play here and there. Lithomantic Barrage is one red sorcery speed. This spell can't be countered. Deals one damage to target creature or planeswalker. Deals five damage instead if that target is white or blue. So it kills a Teferi Stone Dead, can kill a Ragavan if they're tapped out etc um whether that's better than the other red anti-white or blue cards is uh, i'm a little more dubious about i think surge of salvation is stronger overall in context we also have ozolith the shattered spire which if we had done 10 adh cards probably would have made that list (laughs) this is mostly just relevant if affinity ever makes a solid comeback i mean it's lurking on the fringes Aspiring Spike always says it's an underplayed deck, like that, that it, in the hands of a competent pilot, it is very powerful, but it's a very technical deck to play, and you can outplay yourself pretty easily with it. Yes. So it's, it's also possible, because this is a legendary artifact, it might only be a one or a two of in that deck. As, yeah, it wouldn't be super popular in there. It's kind of like additional hardened scales for them, and uh, no other deck in the format is going to want it. It's a one and a green for a legendary artifact. If one or more plus one plus one counters would be put on, they get an extra one. And then for one and a green and tap, you can put one on something, which presumably is then going to get doubled somehow. You can also cycle it away if you don't need it. It's really great in counters matters builds, like tracks of counters in EDH. And other than that, not much to say. Sort of once in future probably will show up in sideboards of decks that run Stoneforge Mystic here and there maybe in hammer time builds for instance the other one that i've got my eye on that might move into modern is an invasion of ikoria so it was brought to my attention that this is a two card combo with vampire hexmage because we know hexmage removes the counters but this actually searches it up and yes, puts it directly that does into work play. so for four mana you go get the hexmage and you flip this immediately and you end up with a eight eight reach creature that says for each non-human creature you control, you may have that creature assign its combat damage as though it weren't blocked. So basically, blocking doesn't work. Now, it's not super tough for them to kill this 8-8 necessarily in format, but a bunch it has of the no spells... defense, but it's neat. Well, it's not no defense. None of the burn spells kill it, but all the exile effects in white will have no problem with it. Dies and to fatal push. And I'm not sure there's a... like. That cool, that's a two-card combo. But I'm actually more interested in this card just as a f- finale of Devastation alternative in the format because it can go get the card and put it straight into play. So those cards are always worth watching because they have tended to do things like go get Dryad Arbor, 
and then whatever else. So I don't I mean, know that this is going to get there because there are a bunch of other options in the format, including Finale. But in Standard and Pioneer, it seems more likely to me. I think that we'll see this pop up in a lot of the same decks that are playing Pioneer. Uh, Pioneer. They're playing Finale of Devastation. Thank you. Um, what it is going to do is be backup copies of that because I think the only human that the uh, counters deck, the Devoted Druid Combos deck, uh, it wants to get is Vizier of Remedies, who I believe is a human. Vizier of Remedy. Should so be if we human have cleric or something? Probably human cleric. I'm looking it up right now. It should be something that when you have backup copies, that's always wonderful. Yeah, Vizier of Remedies is a human cleric. So... Backup copies are great, and I think this at least will see play there. It should see play in a lot of other contexts as well. We we can't overlook how good a tutor is, even if it doesn't have the immediate GG effect of a Devastation tutor for X equals 10. Moving over to Pioneer, I like Change the Equation as an uncommon that could have, make a splash. There's no counterspell like there is in Modern, so... A two cast and cost counter spell that can counter a spell with mana value two or less or counter target red or green spell with mana value six or less doesn't seem that crazy to me, given the decks that are currently in the format. No, I agree with you. It, it does not seem crazy at all. You can you know, see, and we know that blue-white control, for instance, finished in the top eight, was fourth place in the Pioneer Challenge on the weekend. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them start running some number of copies that change the equation, and it will be you know somewhat meta-dependent. The more you know big green and green-red decks there are, this is pretty good against that green-red deck, counters the Atarka's Command, for instance. Yep, it does that indeed. I mean, you, you want all kinds of good stuff there, and I think that the sideboard cards are so good that we might just see a lot of them show up just for the pure value. The the green beast, whose name escapes me, that is Flash, if they've cast a blue or black spell, when it comes into play, you get to look through the top cards and put a permanent into your hand. Like, that's really hard to argue with, getting a two-for-one like that. Not just draw a card, but choose the best permanent out of your top few. So, there's a lot of good stuff going on in Pioneer that I think most of the sideboard color hosers will be an option for people i'm very curious whether mono green and pioneer is going to run pelucranos reborn three mana for a four five reach which lets them block blue white spirits all day and when they flip it for six and two life which is easy for them because they're generating a bunch of mana off nykthos shrine to nix they get a six inch six six reach lifelink and when, you, when somebody kills it, they get a 3-3 green and white Phyrexian Hydra. Right, you get the... the with reach, reach and one with lifelink. Right, it's the, uh, the variation on Worm Coil. So, it's very efficient. <laughs> very powerful in the late game. H- hard for people to kill efficiently. Seems like it has a chance for Mono Green, given that that deck is already a thing. The other card I've got my eye on is Chrome Host Seed Shark. This thing just looks so suspicious. Yes. I, I have this flagged as something that I'm looking forward to buying a large quantity of at some point in its lifespan. Uh, it's two and a blue for a 2-4 flying, so it's already very well statted for its cost. 
and then has bonus uh, gravy on top of that. Whenever you cast a non-creature, incubate X, where X is the mana value. This is analogous to a five mana enchantment that does the same thing where you get the immediate uh, XX illusion token. And being able to have these on the delay plan, where you only turn the ones you need into a creature, is an extraordinarily powerful ability. If there's a rare that you're supposed to grab instead of City on Fire, on the hopes that the first few weeks are going to pump it up, it's got to be Chrome House Seed Shark. You can currently get copies at $3. That could be a $10 rare if it's a four of in Standard and Pioneer. Mm, that's difficult to say. Uh, the the removal so good in all these settings. Um, I am probably going to wait on that, but I agree with you. If you wanted to go after copies, I could not fault you, but I, I would also be prepared for the sheer number of copies coming into the market to overwhelm what people might be doing. There's There's no way to know for sure. Yeah, it needs to prove itself, and it needs right. to be omnipresent. And that's not proven yet. Unlike, say, Shark Typhoon, the tokens don't fly. And you have to pay to get them, to actualize them. But if you have some way where you care about them just being artifacts, like you, you, you're going to sack them for value, for instance, it gets much more interesting. I'm very curious whether Aspiring Spike, for instance, will find a way to storm off in front of this card and then sack the artifacts or something or play it with shrapnel blast for instance in that modern that's like some kind of weird fringe fringe deck where you you cast a burn spell it makes an artifact you sack that one to shrapnel blast and it's totally free can i interest you in a, a, a crazy combo in modern with this okay so if you cast this on turn three and they go to do something to kill it in response you do one of the shoals where you pitch some oh, ridiculous yeah. card and mm -hmm. now you have an incubate like six or eight sitting on the table just ready to do some work. Yeah, that's pretty nasty. It's like a, it's like a six card delayed ass combo, but I'm looking forward to watching somebody do that. I'd also be interested in something that gets to re be recast a whole bunch of times. Hmm. Flashback as a starter, but you're also you're probably looking for something where you can cast it over and over again like a creature that gates itself or something um, i wouldn't be uh, oh no gonna... creature, creature sorry a creature doesn't work it has to be non-creature so yeah, it, has it has to be, be non-creature but it the, bottom line this looks like a puzzle to solve and it feels like exactly the kind of card that a blue red jeskai or blue white player will figure out because i think people underestimated shark typhoon when it came out as well they were like ah it's a six casting cost enchantment that'll never do anything yeah except it's a premium finisher Except it's uh, two and a blue, draw a card, make a 1-1 one, one flash, uncounterable. Yeah. So anyway, Chrome House Seed Shark, I would keep an eye on it. If, if there's a rare that has potential to take off, this would you know be the, close to the top of my list. Anything else you want to talk about from March of the Machine? I don't think so. Uh, I mentioned the, the color hoser uncommons might have some legs, and I'll be looking forward to seeing how those do in foil since they don't have special versions. Oh, you know what I forgot to mention when I was dis dis discussing the summer schedules? We still have March of the Machine Aftermath showing uh, up. We do. And those are uh, packs with... or something. Yeah, we'll talk about that soon. Those are the packs with no commons, correct? 
Yeah, and they they're not set up to draft. Uh, and it looks like to compensate for the smaller size of the set, they have like a bajillion variants of everything, which may not bode well for the price of the cards in there. I guess we're going to need more details before we can really judge what's going on there. But it is an entirely new product type. Well, once they give us the arrangement of what's in there, I promise I will do my best to figure out what's in each one. I'm convinced that somebody at Wizards uh, reads my math articles and decides every set to make it more complicated. <laughs> I think it is actively just trying to mess with me. That's a wrap for this week, folks. Where can people find you online, Cliff? You can find me online at Word of Commander on Twitter. Uh, you can also read my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com, including uh, what I just posted last Friday, the math of, of March of the Machine, so that you can know exactly how many boosters it takes to open any of the cards you want. You guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's FINANCE with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Oh my gosh, James, we talked about all the cards this week. Can't wait for next week, too. Looking forward to cracking some March of the Machine packs shortly, and we will see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.